Amen. We're uh, going to continue our series uh, through the book of Revelation. Uh, we are in chapter um, 15 and 16. Um, we're going to be doing a little bit of jumping around uh, because Rob has covered part of uh, 15. So we're going to read uh, part of chapter 15, beginning at verse 1, and then skip after verse 1 to verse 5 to the end of the chapter, and then the whole of 16. And what, the reason that is is because that uh, connects more. Verses 2 through 4 is sort of a break and, and a switch in different perspective uh, and focus than the rest of the text. So if you have your Bible, uh, your phone, or just look at the screen, uh, hear God's word um, to you. This is God speaking. I'm just reading uh, his word to you, coming from John. So John writes, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure, bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with the smoke of the glory of God and from his power. And no one can enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. And harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. Fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits, 
performing signs, who go abroad to kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled, uh, and they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. A loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been seen uh, since man was on earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. This is God's word. Well, let's pray. Oh, Lord and Father, God, we pray that as your word has gone forth, as we are just emotionally drained, that we would hear your promise of salvation and justice that's coming. And we would see your grace and mercy in this text and be lifted up in encouragement and hope. Lord, we need you. We need your encouragement. We need the hope that only you can give. And we pray we'd hear that and know that by your spirit. We pray all this in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Well, gosh, you know, as Rob already already covered, you know, this, this week, even much of this month, we've been hearing the cry of injustice, you know, people crying out uh, for justice to come and be served. You know, we heard that after the death of George Floyd on Monday. You know, we heard that after the death of Ahmaud Arbery, and we've, we've heard the cry of our black brothers and sisters crying out for, for justice. You know, we, we join them. We, we, we feel the tension and, and, and can mourn and join them in that cry. You know, we've also seen the pendulum swing, as it were, as some are trying to, with that anger and rage, take justice in their own hands. And so we see the riots and people's livelihoods destroyed, businesses burned down, you know, and now people are without work because of it, innocent people. You know, so there's this, there's just this, we're looking at the world kind of turn on its head and the, you know, just wondering and, and, and wanting justice to come, pure justice, pure deliverance. You know, we're, we're, we're joining that cry that we've, we've seen of the saints praying, how long? You know, Rob prayed that earlier. How long is this going to go on? How long are we going to keep experiencing the, the darkness of, of this evil age. You know, this, the sin in our own hearts, the, 
the struggle that you and I experience with our own selfishness and anger and bitterness and hatred, you know, the suffering that we experience that's outside of our control, the death that we see, the, the just corruption that we see in the world, you know, all the other stuff. It's not just this past week, but, you know, with all the, the government shutdown, economic turmoil, pain, you know, sickness, all these things just, just make us ask that question. How long is this going to keep going? When does it end? Um, you know, we look at Revelation in, in this text, you know, I, I'll, I'll admit I wasn't excited to preach this text because <laughs> it's just so much about God's justice and fury, which is scary. And it's, it just feels like this sort of fire and brimstone yeah. text, you know? And it's true. The wrath of God is a major focus of this text. But I think we could find, and I, and I know there's, there's encouragement here, that John is writing to the Christians to encourage them. He's not trying to make them feel afraid, but to feel hopeful that justice Pure and real justice is coming. That's good, so the main idea of this, of this text is when it seems like evil and injustice are winning, God will one day punish evil finally and fully. And so we wait, we, we're called to wait expectantly for that justice to come and to persevere as we wait. So there's three things we're going to cover. There's, there's the reasons for God's wrath. Why is, is God showing his justice? Some of this is, we've covered before, so it'll be a little bit of a repeat, but it's, it's helpful to cover it again. The second thing is to call, the, the call of God to persevere as we wait. Uh, for that justice to come. And then the third thing we're going to look at is the receiver of God's wrath. That seems a little disjointed. And I hate using the word wrath in every single sentence because, again, it, it just seems like this dark and gloomy sermon coming up. But I, I want us to hang tight because, again, John and Jesus are offering us hope during this time, especially now. Now, there are some bullet points that I just want to cover real quick. First, uh, John in this text is providing another camera angle to things we've already talked about. You know, as Rob said, throughout the book of Revelation, John is giving these visions that are really different perspectives, more or less the same thing that's happening. But there's a different focus that John and Jesus are giving to that uh, event and progression of, of events. And that's what's happening here. You know, what John is talking about in these bowls, it's, it's similar in the same, it's, it's, it's a different camera angle of the seven trumpets that we've uh, talked about and the seven seals that we've, we've gone over. So with that, I'm not going to cover every part. I'm not going to cover every bowl and the symbolism that's in there and what John means when he uses this and that. Uh, 
mainly because we've we've talked about it already and there's so much here that it we just don't have time we just don't have time to to go into every verse i mean even just studying this there's so much old testament imagery uh images that they would have uh known uh at first century first century believers you know relationship to the plagues of egypt there's all these things and, and things we could look at that are amazing but i want to do more of a bird's eye view with the time uh, that we have and really looking at the main difference between you know this um, section of the the bowls and the and the trumpets it's it's focusing on the wrath of god and the justice coming in the end and and in that, that the, there's a finality coming of God's justice, that his patience is only for a time, and that one day there's a day set where his patience will be no more for evil, that he will bring full justice, and, and we'll look at that more in detail. But that's really the, the focus here that, that John is, is giving. So first I want to look at what are the reasons uh, for God's wrath. Why, why is God... Um, going to bring wrath. And we've covered some of this. First is, is, is God is just. God is a holy, just God. And, and, and John mm -hmm. sees that. And, and there's so much imagery of the glory of God. You know, in, in um, 5, uh, 8, there's this, this image of the glory and smoke filling uh, the tabernacle of witness. That's going back to the Old Testament of God's justice and in giving the law and as a just god he must punish sin you know and derek uh, chavin and, and and the other officers involved in the killing of george floyd if, if they fear for a judge and the court acquits them we would say that's unjust we would say that that's that is unjust to to let them go free why because because of our justice system because of the laws in place because of the wrong that was committed so too, as God is judge, that's part of his character. He's just and holy. He must punish sin. It would be unjust for him to not, to not punish sin. You know, and also, his, his, in that, his justice is pure. It's, it's, it's pure justice. You know, again, we've seen the pendulum swing when, when people try to take that justice in their own hands, and it's, it's chaotic. It's, it's just... On both sides of what we're seeing is just this chaotic use of justice, of this, this injustice in the world. But God's justice, when it comes, is pure. It's pure justice for the wrong that was committed. Another thing is his, his patience with the ungodly and patience for, for evil to continue in the world has an end. You know, in 15.1 and in 15.8, it talks about uh, the plagues and the, the wrath of God being finished. And in 51, it says, for, the, uh, for with the plagues, the wrath of God is finished. And then in 15.8, no one can enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. You know, this is looking at, there's coming a time where God's justice is, is going to be poured out fully. But he's been patient up to this point. We've seen that God, God showing his loving kindness to the world and allowing men and women to come to him in repentance and believe. You know, we even see that in, in this text and as the bowls are being poured out, it mentions in, 
in bowl four and in bowl five. In, in the fourth bowl, this is verse, end of verse nine, says they did not repent and give him glory. And in the, uh, the fifth bowl, they did not repent of their deeds. In one sense, it shows the hardness of their heart, but in another sense, it's there's time. There's, there's a period where God is, is still there. There's a, there's a period of repentance, but that time is coming to an end. So it's, it's scary because people accuse God of, of just being this wrathful, angry God, but we must see that God has also got a patience and love and kindness. And he's allowing this time of, of patience for people to come and repent, but one day that'll end. But the, the third reason, I think this is really important, especially now, that John is giving to his people because they've been crying out to God for justice. They've been crying out to God for deliverance. And so this is God's answer to them. This is God bringing justice for them in response to their cry saying, how long? In the response to God for the pressure that they've been experiencing by the world, the persecution and death that they've been experiencing, the injustice that they're seeing and crying out to God, to come and deliver and vindicate them, this is God's answer. This is God's response to them and answering them. And we see that in a couple of areas. First, in the idea of the bowls. You know, Rob talked about this uh, earlier. The bowls, uh, in one sense, can be translated, uh, maybe even a better translation is cup. You know, Old Testament imagery of the cup of wrath, the cup that is gonna be poured out on uh, evil and on the wicked in the end. That's definitely at play here. But there's another sense that's at play, and that's in comparison to the bowls of incense, the bowls that represented the prayers of the saints. This is in uh, Revelation 5, 8. It says, when, I, uh, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, and the golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So what John is saying is that these bowls, although it, it's, it's sort of a, a twist of, of words, that these bowls of, of prayers to God are then turned into bowls of wrath mm-hmm. on evil. It's an answer to that prayer. Mm-hmm. It's an answer to the prayer that the saints have been given that one day God is fully and finally going to bring that justice that they're asking for. He's going to bring that wrath and justice that they've been crying for. And then there's the prayer of the third angel. This is 16, 5 through 6. He says, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was. Now there's something missing there. There's a phrase that's missing that's, that's throughout the New Testament when it talks about Jesus. Who is and who was and who is to come but it's not there, and that's intentional. The reason is, is because what, what the angel is saying is that at this point, Jesus has come, which means the justice has come, that Jesus is bringing his justice and is answering that prayer, that God is, is coming and bringing the justice that they've been praying for. And then at the, uh, the end of that uh, praise to the Lord in verse Six, it says, for they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. This is the true justice of God for the shedding blood of his children. 
that he's going to allow the, the wicked people who have shed that blood to drink that blood, to drink their own blood. That's a vivid and sobering image, but it's the way God is going to respond and bring that justice. You know, as we've, we've said, we've heard the cry of injustice from our friends of color, our black neighbors and black brothers and sisters in Christ crying out to God for the injustice that they've been experiencing for centuries. And hearing that cry and participating with them in that cry, God hears that. God hears the cry of his kids. God hears the cry for justice from his children. And he's going to respond. He's going to answer that call. We experience and, and obviously we pray for that now. We pray for justice and, and, and experience and see that justice on earth as it is in heaven. But that justice in its pure form is going to come when Jesus returns. And God hears that cry. You know, and all of us are experiencing some, some kind of struggle and, and tension. You know, it's not just what we saw on Monday. It's not just this past week. Oh, that's so prevalent in all of our minds. You know, but there's all the other stuff we've been experiencing of economic unrest, you know, loss of jobs and careers, um, loss of loved ones. You know, and there's a struggle with sin, our, our, our own darkness that we're dealing with, our past, our history. You know, things that have been done to us that still haunt us. There's all these things where we're just crying out to God for it to end, for it to stop. God hears that. God hears your cry. He's not someone who's not listening. I'm going to probably cry sharing this illustration. So, I'm, <laughs> you know, this morning, my son, um, he had a bad dream and woke up crying. And all you, uh, you know, any of you guys who are parents know when you hear your child crying. You know, there's an immediate desire just to, to bring him out of it. That's me, a sinner, and, you know, with my own struggles and problems, but that, that desire just to, to hold him and bring him out of it. It's so much greater with our Father, with our Heavenly Father, who hears our cries and hears our call for deliverance out of the nightmare. And he's going to rise up and lift us out of it. He's going to pull us out of the nightmare. And that day's coming. 
His love is so much stronger than I could have for my son. And he's gonna deliver us and bring us into that new kingdom. That's also part of this text here. The last bowl is that final judgment where God rids this world of evil in preparation for the new kingdom, in preparation for his kingdom coming. That's his plan for us, is to deliver us, to, to pull us out of this world of darkness. And until then, we're called to, to persevere. We're called to continue in the faith. As the fire gets hotter, we've talked about this throughout Revelation. As it, as it appears to us and what John is saying, that things are going to get more intense as we wait for God to come and deliver us. The church is going to experience that tension and pressure. It's going to feel, feel the, the pressure of evil. You know, in the sixth bowl, talks about this final battle. You know, the, the last battle between the forces of darkness and the Lord and his people. You know, and it, we're going to take a second and, and get a little bit theological, mainly because there's all kinds of views of, of this portion, let alone the rest of the book. So the sixth bullet um, is talking about that, that final, final battle, the great day uh, of the Lord. And everyone sees us as, as Armageddon. That's, that's the place that this um, is going to take place or, or what, what um, John talks about. So some believers think that this is an actual place, this is an actual location, and there's going to be this actual physical battle, all the forces uh, of uh, government forces around the world are going to come, and there's going to be this great battle against Israel. Um, but I don't think that's what John is saying. You know, the, the, the place and the word he uses is, is symbolic. As we've said, that's how John speaks in Revelation. He's speaking with symbolism and metaphor, with imagery, to communicate a deeper theological truth. And if we were to kind of dissect the word Armageddon, it's a Hebrew word that's Har Megiddon, Har being a mountain, and Megiddo being a location that was just northeast of, of Israel, of Jerusalem. The problem is there's, there's no mountain in Megiddo, so... <laughs> That just seems, that would be confusing if it's actually there. Another problem with that, if it's actually Megiddo, is the Old Testament talks about this great battle against Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, and in other places against Mount Zion. So that would be conflicting with Old Testament prophecy if John literally meant it was going to be uh, in that location. So what seems more likely is what what John is communicating is this battle is going to be against the people of God who represent the heavenly Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the people of God worshiping uh, God for eternity. That's, that's what the church represents. We are worshiping now. We're, we're praising him for his glory, for his grace, which is a picture of the new kingdom. So what John is saying is that the, these forces of evil are going to come against the church. They're going to come and, and pressure the church to conform. And we, we see this image out of the three, uh, the, the, the false trinity, these three frogs, these demons coming out and, 
and they're false prophets that are going out and deceiving governments and, and kings. But also, there is, there's indication that they're, they're trying to deceive people within the covenant community. So there's going to be a period where there's, there's pressure and, and temptation to, to believe lies about God and, and who God is and what he's done, to not trust his promises, to not depend on uh, the hope uh, of the gospel and instead run after other things and, and thinking these things will satisfy and save. There'll be temptations to not trust the Lord and not see his goodness. And here in verse 15, which is different than in the trumpets, Jesus calls. He talks to the people in Revelation, the believers that John is writing to, and he calls them to continue in the faith, to persevere. And 15 says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. You know, what Jesus is saying is, is, is to continue in the faith. You know, it could be scary in one sense because we, we wonder, oh, does that mean that I'm, it's, it's up to me, it's dependent on me to continue. That if I make some big mistake that God's not going to forgive me. That's not what, what John and Jesus is, is saying. And we've talked about this in the past. Perseverance is, is trusting in the promise that God has given to us, that he is preserving us that he's keeping us in himself. Jesus himself says in John 10, 28, that uh, my sheep hear my voice, none of them shall perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. So knowing that if you belong to Jesus, there's nothing that can change that. There's nothing that can take you away from the arms of Jesus. There's nothing that can take you away from his grasp, not you, not your sin, not however small your faith is, not anything outside of that. So in knowing that, we continue in the faith, continue to come to worship, where we hear God's promises to us, where we hear his promise of deliverance and hope and salvation every week. That's why we, we, we find the gospel so, it's, it's vital to, to speak it and to say it every week, because that, friends, is what's giving us hope. That's what's giving us the hope to continue, that God has saved us now and will save us when he comes that's why we come and worship so the call is to continue to come to continue to hear god's word preached to you to take the sacraments where god is is meeting us here and now and nourishing our souls nourishing our spirits as we're we're just starving for his love he nourishes us and in that act as paul says we proclaim his death, so we're looking back when we partake of the sacrament until he comes. In that sacrament, as we partake, we're also looking ahead. We're looking ahead at this, this final day of judgment and justice, pure justice of God upon evil and the deliverance of this world, the deliverance of us from this evil age. That's why we, we, we see the sacraments as important to take every week because we need that nourishment. And then in community, as we, we gather together, encouraging one another, loving each other, supporting each other, weeping with each other, uh, struggling with one another, all these things are, are 
biblical ideas and terms because it's so important to be doing that together. God hasn't left us alone to, to run this solo. He's given us one another, the church, to love, support, and care for each other. We need each other. I need you. I need your encouragement. I need you to remind me that, that Jesus is coming. I need you to remind me that he loves me. Yeah. Yeah, we need each other. So continuing to gather, continuing to support each other. Yeah. You know, and knowing that we're looking ahead. You know, I was thinking about this, this text. Uh, Anna and I uh, recently finished the Narnia series because we're, we're Christians. We have to read uh, the Narnia series. <laughs> um, so we finally finished uh, The Last Battle. And, you know, C.S. Lewis does such an amazing job of, of characterizing uh, these events and putting it into a, a story. And as Narnia is, is sort of crumbling and there's this big division and, and there's all this deceit going around and, and all these talking animals are believing these lies about Aslan, there's a small band of, of people that know Aslan is coming and, and know the promise of his, his return, but are wanting to, you know, gather people together and to... to almost in a sense, go back to the way that things were. And actually one of the characters, Jill, is a few times in the story just saying like, I just wish it was, it was back to normal. I just wish we could go back to the way Narnia used to be. You know, the, the, the adventures and, and the beauty and all this, and times of peace, you know, and, and you feel that as you're reading, you're like, wow, I, I wish that, you know, knowing the story, knowing all these beautiful adventures, you're like, that was amazing, why can't we go back? But what Christianity says is we do look back at the promise of the gospel, but we stare through the fog and through the smoke into the new kingdom. We look ahead. We look ahead at the promise of deliverance of what God is going to bring. That's the hope of Christianity. It's not standing on just these things that, we, that, that have no foundation. It's standing on the gospel and looking ahead to the coming of Jesus. You know, the, the third thing I want to cover is, is, is the receiver of God's wrath. You know, this, this is the part that is just uncomfortable, you know, because it's just uncomfortable talking about God's wrath, you know. Um, but it's true that those who have the mark of the beast are subject to God's wrath. That those who follow Satan... This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen to those people who are not trusting in Jesus. Rob said it before, Christianity, there's no middle ground. There's not, I don't, you know, I don't really take a side. You're either following Jesus and trusting in his work for you or you're not. And if you're not, this is, these bulls of wrath are meant for you. And I would, that's uncomfortable to say, but it's true. But that's uncomfortable when you think about it for all of us because Christianity is also not something where we earn God's favor by our good deeds, that God is just gonna weigh out our works and if, if the good outweighs the bad, then we're, we're good. <laughs> that's not Christianity. Christianity says all of us 
or screw-ups. All of us are sinners. All of us are failures. All of us are unjust. All of us have been haters of God at one point. Yeah. Scripture pulls no punches in talking about our state left to ourselves. That's why I read Ephesians 2, yeah, that we are dead, left to ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're lifeless. And there's nothing that you and I can do to change that by our own works, however much, however hard we try. There's nothing we can do to earn God's favor. So this isn't me saying I or Christians are better than the rest of the people. We're just as bad. <laughs> we, are, we are just as terrible. So what hope is there for us then, you know? Looking at our own hearts, how unjust we are, how sinful we are, how much we, damage we've caused. God knows so much damage has been caused by me. So what help do we have? How do we know we're not going to receive this? You know, there's a couple places we can, we can look to, but there's, there's one that's, that we see here in this text. And that's in verse 1 and in verse 8. And then also in the seventh bowl where John says... When he talks about the wrath of God being finished. He says that in verse 8. He says that in verse 1. And then in the seventh bowl, in verse 17, it says, The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple and from the throne, saying, It is done. The finality of God's judgment is here. It's all poured out. There's nothing left. That's what it's saying. But... What does that mean for us? Because there's somewhere else where we see that phrase that John actually uses. If we go all the way back to John, the book of John, the Gospel of John, in John 19, when Jesus is being crucified, at the very end, in verse um, 29 through 30, this is what it says. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures i thirst and a jar full of sour wine stood there so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth and when jesus had received the sour wine he said it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit what's he saying there what's happening here and what jesus is proclaiming is that the wrath of god the full wrath of God that was meant for his people, that was meant for you and me, has been done up. He's taken all of it. He's drunk the full cup of God's wrath so that there's nothing left. When he says it is finished, there's not an ounce of wrath left for God's people. That's what he's saying there, that all of that wrath that was meant for us is taken away. And there's nothing, friends, that you or I could do to change that. That if you're trusting in Jesus, that none of this wrath is meant for you. That only life and forgiveness and joy and peace is in your future. That nothing is going to change that that the full amount of God's wrath was drunk by his son. That's the beauty of Christianity. It's not looking to ourselves. 
It's looking to somebody else. We needed somebody else to take that wrath for us. And Jesus has done it. It's finished. There's no more need for justice to be dealt to us. That's the grace of God. That's the undeserving grace of God. But it's ours. It's ours if we are trusting in Jesus. And nothing can take that away. Now, if it's not true of you, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, if you wouldn't say, I, I believe in Jesus, maybe you stumbled in here and we're, we're glad you've taken a second to, to worship and, and, and listen with us. But this is God's call to you that the wrath, that this wrath was put on his son and in trusting in him and believing in him, the wrath is taken away. And that's God's call to you to trust in Jesus for the finished work that he's accomplished on your behalf. And in doing that, only promise is of life, joy, and forgiveness, and peace in the new kingdom that is real and solid. If you have questions about that, you have concerns, you, have, you want to talk more about that, contact us, reach out to our church. If you know any of uh, our friends that are Christians that worship with us, talk to them. We would love uh, to talk to you more about that. Well, friends, as we just see the world turn on its head, you know, it's, it's come to our doorstep. Know that God hears your cry for justice. And he's going to answer that. That one day there is a day set that God is going to answer that cry for justice. And it's going to be pure. But know that you've been freed from that. that you've been freed from that wrath. And that you'll be delivered into the new kingdom. Amen.